1: Good morning. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, California, streaming online at kuci.org and podcasting on iTunes. Welcome to Fighting for Love. This show will help you turn conflict into collaboration in all your relationships. I'm Lloyd, the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank, an attorney mediator since 1985. She's a mediator for the Orange County Superior Court Civil Mediation Panel. Mari's a professor of negotiations and conflict management and has been a certified State bar trainer for over 25 years. To learn more about the show and our great guests, please visit ConflictHealing.com. Mari, what's your show about this morning? Well, our show today is more about negotiation, and we have a negotiation expert joining us who moved down here from L.A. area to Irvine, California, and she is just amazing. So let me tell you a little bit about Eldana. Eldana Luis Fernandez is the founder of Dynamic Vision Foundation and the Baskets and Beads Project, which helps women in a slum in Kenya, and they eradicate poverty through entrepreneurship. For these women, baskets and beads empowers women and saves children by offering a hand up, not a handout. But she is a wonderful negotiator. She has an incredible background with the U.S. Air Force. Um, but we, I want to tell you just that website because we're going to give you another website. But that website is Baskets and Beads. Kenya, K-E-N-Y-A, dot com if you want to know more information about that wonderful, wonderful foundation that she started. Now Eldana has written two books, Think Like a Negotiator, Fifty Ways to Create Win Win Results by Understanding the Pitfalls to Avoid, and her other book, Go Pink Rules of Engagement, Five Foundational Principles for Taking Control of the Handlebars of Your Life. I love it. She also has co-authored Heart of a Military Woman, a compilation of stories by, for, and about women in the military. Among her many media credits, she's appeared on ABC, CBS, NBC, Fox News, Fox Business, and CNN, and she's published in the New York Times, the Washington Post, Forbes, and the Huffington Post. So we're just so thrilled that you're joining us, Eldana. Thank you so much for being with us this morning.
0: Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah. So, you know,
1: we we don't think that much about women in the military until just recently, but tell us about your background in the military and what you learned and how you had to negotiate in in that uh, field with all those men.
0: Well, I uh, I was in the military for 23 years, and I came in as what was known as a contract specialist. So my job was Purchasing, contracts administration, contracts management, and much to my surprise, right from the beginning, negotiation. And so I was negotiating contracts and purchases uh, stateside and internationally, and I only intended to stay four years, but I ended up staying 23 and had a great career and got a lot of experience and really enjoyed my time in the military.
1: Well, we hear a lot about some of the challenges that women have in the military. So was this tough for you? Did you find that being a a challenge, being one of the few women that was in that environment?
0: Oh, definitely. When I joined the military, it was only 8% women, and I think it's about 16% today, depending on what statistic you look at, but it's a male-dominated environment, and I did have some challenges and some struggles, and I was harassed and things like that. But, uh, you know, I choose to look at, okay, that was a small part of my military career. Everything that I learned in the military and all the experiences I had had set me up to then, after I retired, I went to work for Raytheon and then Parsons as a contracts negotiator and manager. Uh, for many, many years before I went out on my own to start teaching negotiation and write my book.
1: Well, that's really wonderful that you had that great experience and then got into the corporate world. Even in those particular companies, they I would imagine they were mostly men as well.
0: Yes, they were, because uh, there were engineering-type firms, and uh, Raytheon had a lot of, actually, defense contracts, and there were a lot of engineers and most engineers that I come in contact with were men. So it was still that male-dominated environment and learning how to communicate in that environment as a woman. It was a different way that you had to learn to communicate because most women are not direct communicators and most men are. So it did take a minute to, to learn how to adjust and, and adapt in that environment.
1: Right. And I notice even for myself because, you know, I negotiate every day for my career, either negotiating with lawyers or negotiating with clients or negotiating with court or whoever it is. And there is a difference in how women negotiate than there are men.
0: Don't you think? Yes, definitely. And Like I said, a lot of it has to do with that communication. Most women are not direct communicators and most men are. So women like to go a little more into the story, but a man really doesn't want to hear that. They just want to get down to the business and hear, okay, just give me the points and let's get on with it. So you have to learn how to adjust depending on somebody else's negotiation style and what their negotiation archetype is, whether they're a direct communicator or they're what I call a storyteller or a non-negotiator or whatever they may be. You have to adjust and adapt to those type of things to be able to have a successful negotiation with them. Right,
1: right. So tell my audience, you know, I end up sometimes when I do a lot of divorce mediation, and I often find, and, and I don't mean to stereotype because this isn't always the case, But especially with the baby boomers that I negotiate with for and help them and mediate them through a divorce, usually um, or often, I want to say, the husband has been the major breadwinner. He has, uh, you know, really dominated the finances and has always pretty much told the wife what to do. And so the woman feels that she doesn't know how to negotiate. But it seems that a lot of them can really negotiate for their children <laughs> and really negotiate when it comes to something for their family, but they have a harder time negotiate, negotiating for themselves. Have you seen that as well?
0: Yes, I have. Actually, I have I have a friend that I'm helping through her divorce situation. I went to meet the attorney with her, and she she comes from that type of a background, and The husband is putting out his deal, and she's getting upset about it, and I'm reminding her that you have to look at this as a business deal and leave emotion out of this and stand up for what you want. And it's true. You think about your children, you'll do anything for your children, but you've put yourself, and I I think it's no matter what woman is, whether they've been in the workforce or working from home, They put themselves aside and then don't know how to stand up for themselves. And if they don't have somebody to advocate for them or learn how to advocate for themselves, they'll get a bad deal.
1: Exactly, exactly. So I end up coaching both sides, you know, if the husband is coming across too strong, I have to, you know, get a a caucus with him to tell him that, you know, if you want to get what you want, you're going to have to do it in a way that's a little bit more gentle, because otherwise, she's going to want to litigate. And if the husband is, you know, uh, if the wife is just you know, acting like a wallflower and isn't speaking up for herself, she's going to get something that is less than fair for herself. So it's, uh, it's you know, women don't think, my experience is a lot of women don't think that they can negotiate like a man if they haven't been out in the business world, they think, oh, well, you know, he knows how to negotiate and I don't. But isn't it true that we can all learn to negotiate?
0: Well, yes, and we already negotiate every day without even realizing it. Like, those women are negotiating. If some teacher does something to their kid or maybe another kid does something and they have to go have a discussion with a parent, that's negotiation. They're going to stand up and they're not going to take it and they're going to get a better deal for for their kids. They have to remember to just take those skills and transfer it to themselves. We're already negotiating each and every day. We don't realize that the same things that we do maybe for our children or maybe in our day-to-day personal life are things that we actually have for skills for negotiation.
1: Right, right. People don't realize that that is what we're doing. Most of our communication, or not most, but a, quite a bit of our nego- our communication is really negotiation. You know, I'll do this for you and you do this for me. Or, you know, can you do this? Well, I can. not Or if you're at work and your boss wants you to come in at seven in the morning and you got to take your kids to school, you have to come up with something about, well, gee, I can't do that, but I can do this, you know. So there's there's so right. many ways that people can learn the tools, right?
0: So Right, and, and it's the same, it's a, like you're talking about at work. Okay, I need this project on my desk by 5 o'clock tonight. Are you kidding? I can't get it done by 5 o'clock tonight because I have to do all these things and I have to get this from the other organization that's not going to give it to me till 8 a.m. Right. How about I turn it in by 11? Well, 11 too late because I have a meeting. How about 10? That's the same principles yeah. I've used to negotiate multi million dollar contracts with the government. It's the, the same concepts that you can use across the board. So you've made a deal for something like that, that means you can make a deal for something for yourself in a divorce or, or with your children or in a business or at your job, you use all the same kind of strategies and you don't realize it.
1: Right. And, you know, it's really unfortunate that they don't really teach negotiation in at least high school. And I got to tell you, when I was in law school, this was back, gosh, I graduated in 85. But when I was in law school, they didn't even teach negotiation. And that's 90% of what attorneys do. So, you know, I taught it at at, uh, Western State Law School, and I said, my goodness, you know, this this should be a required course, and it's still not, which is totally ridiculous, because how many of us really learn the tools and the skills of negotiation unless we take classes or we are, you know, getting it from some mentor, right?
0: Right, or you're taking the skills that you already have and somebody's teaching you that, yes, you can use these skills this way and think about these things and think about this. I consult with a lot of people uh, to help them get money back on situations. And uh, one, one guy who's written dozens and dozens of letters for businesses, I shared a couple things with him. He's like, oh my gosh, I just didn't think about that. And it's, it's amazing how much we really know if we just learn from somebody how to apply it in our day-to-day lives.
1: Exactly. Exactly. I think they just don't transfer those skills that they already have that are really going to be very helpful to them. So, you know, I have people who say, you know, I just don't know how to negotiate. I just can't negotiate. I don't have, I'm too scared to negotiate. Uh, What do you tell them?
0: Well, I hear that a lot. Oh, I can't, I can't negotiate. And I tell people, First of all, you can't switch flip a light switch to become an expert at anything. You right. have to do it in order to get good at it. And I send people out to yard sales, to flea markets, to thrift shops, to actually go and start making deals. Right. And it may sound silly, but if you get comfortable making deals at the small scale, those skills translate to the bigger scale, but you have to start somewhere. And the point is you have to start. You have to do it. And if you're afraid, you have to step through that fear anyway and just do it in order to get good at it.
1: Right. You know, um, I took my kids to Mexico. You're going to love this story. And so my son was about, I guess, maybe 10 and he's watched me negotiate and I speak Spanish fluently. So I have so much fun, you know, negotiating in Mexico. So I took them and, um, my son said, mom, can, can I just go try? And, and I said, yes, stay near me. And we were at some market, some fair open air fair. And, uh, he was wearing this California t-shirt and he came back about 15 minutes later and he didn't have that t-shirt on he had a different t-shirt on and he had some toys and a whole bunch of things in his hand and i said, "Brian, what did you do?" He goes, "Well, mom, you told me, you know, to negotiate to talk with them, to to get a deal, to give up something that give them something that you don't care about but you get something in return." So he said, "They all wanted my California t-shirt and i didn't care cuz i can get it and then i got this Mexican t-shirt, you know, from Puerto Vallarta, and I got all these other things, and I had to laugh. I mean, from the mouths of babes, you know, just learning. It was so cute when he did that. I mean, I I was shocked, but he learned by, by watching me and um and then he did better and now I'll tell you now he he has an MBA from the University of Chicago and he is he negotiates everything. I mean he he is better much better than I am. He's amazing now, but it started when he was 10 years old so that was so cute.
0: Yeah, well I started my kids to teach them negotiation by actually having yard sales. I would sit there, and, and at first I would put the things out, and I'd have them kind of go with me, and they were young, and then they started running the yard sale themselves. I just sat there to supervise, and their friends were like, like my son's friend was saying, "Why, why do you keep having all these yard sales?" He's like, "Oh, I don't know. I, I like the money. I get some money from it." But that I taught them how to negotiate. I'm like, "How much do you want for your bike, right there?" Really? He's like, "Well, I want this much." Well. To tell them this much, and then don't go below that. <laughs> right. So he, they were out there haggling for their stuff. So they learned at a young age. That's great if you have kids to actually do things like that—do yard sales or take them to yard sales. Because those are great ways. Great ways to, I guess, strengthen that muscle, strengthen that skill, so you right. can actually become a good negotiator exactly. at an
1: early age. Exactly. Exactly. So you know what can people who are listening? You know we're. We're sitting here on the campus of the University of California, Irvine. And these people are young people. Most of them are in college. And most of them haven't really been out there in the world that much to negotiate. So how can they get up to speed, you know, and get it started and really think about the process?
0: Well, like I said earlier, they have to simply jump in and do it. And it might be good to do some mock negotiations with their friends, sit down, especially like if they're going for a job interview maybe. I always suggest people do a mock negotiation if they're going in to get something for themselves, like maybe they they want to dispute something or they want to actually go for a job interview, to have them get their friends and do a mock negotiation with them. And then, like I said, the yard sales at thrift shops, you can even get money off of retail. I get money off of retail all the time so just just by simply going out there and doing it, but you have to do it in order to get started. You have to simply go do it, whether you're afraid or not.
1: Right, and that's such a good point you brought up about getting a job, because many of these people are going to be graduating, you know, from college, either this year or next year or whatever, and they are going to be negotiating a job. So, you know, they have to, you know, I know you know this, and I think they need to know more that the more they know about the company, about their skills, about the commensurate salaries, the, that's that information gives them power. And if you want to have any leverage, you really have to have information, and that gives you power, and that gives you confidence to go in and actually negotiate a job, right?
0: Right, and then if you do an actual mock interview with somebody, your body already has experienced the negotiation. And what a lot of people think with job, and, with job offers is, oh, that I can't negotiate that. But it's called an offer for a reason. You can either accept it, reject it, or give it a counteroffer. So you can negotiate a job offer. Oh, here's, here's the, the offer, and a lot of people, I can't negotiate that, I'll just take it. But I think if they understand that they can negotiate but they have to think about it ahead of time before they go in exactly what they want, but uh, doing that mock interview will help them actually feel more confident because they've actually experienced negotiation whether it's with a friend or not they've experienced negotiation with someone and they'll feel a lot more comfortable with it.
1: Right. So that role-playing is really a great thing to do. And I know for me, people, and I think you made a very good point that I want to follow up on. People say, well, you know, it's not negotiable. They say it's not negotiable. But I remember when I was doing one of my book deals with a publisher and they said, "You, you can't negotiate a publishing contract. It is what it is. But that's baloney because there's certain things. Maybe I couldn't get more money But I got more books You know, when they give you a certain amount of books for free I got more books I got other things that I It it may not be the money But it's something that's of value to you So you can negotiate things of value to you that maybe someone else can't, like, can I work from home one day a week, and I'm going to be working harder? Or, um, you know, can I come in earlier and leave earlier? Or can I come in later and leave later? You know, things that you think, you know, not everything is money, but but has value, right?
0: Right, definitely. Sometimes people like, well, I don't have more of a budget for you to speak. Right. Like, okay, well, what else can we do? Are you recording it? Record it, and I'll get the recording. And can right. you do this? Can you do that? You think about all the other things of value that you can get. Okay, you don't have any more money, but what else can you do for me? Right. I did a speaking engagement in Denver, Colorado for a big apartment association. It was a massive conference. And they had a set amount, and they couldn't go beyond that amount. But I ended up getting a... Very expensive ticket to the gala event that they had that they wouldn't otherwise have given me if I hadn't have asked. So I got to go to that. What else can you give me? What else can I get? If you can't give me more money, what other value can I get? You have to think about all the things. That's what I call it: the think and negotiate. Yeah. you have to actually put that thought process into work.
1: Yeah, that's expanding the pie and adding value. I, I've done that too, and I think that's what's the problem is that people don't think ahead of time like. What else could I get if I can't get the amount of money? What other things are available? And like you said, I- I've done the same thing when someone can't pay me enough for doing something. I'll say, okay, well, what you know, what can we trade? <laughs> what, what kind of trade is there that I right. can help you with? That we can trade, and then they may know something that. I didn't know, or I had I had one, one couple who owned a restaurant and they were, they, they were having some struggles and they owed me money. I was doing some things for them. And then I said, well, okay, what can we trade? So they, you know, they gave me a bunch of money. You know, they said, use it for our restaurant. So I took our whole family, I took like 30 people and we had this great lunch and that kind of reduced their bills. So you have to kind of think about what is something of value to you that would be worth it to you, but maybe is is something that they could trade that isn't as much value to them. And it makes them feel good that they can do something. So there's always a way, but you have to think outside the box. And I know that's what you do. And that's what we really want to tell all of the people that are listening. Think outside of the box. Brainstorm yourself or brainstorm with a friend what other things what's really important to me do i really want this job and yeah it pays less but what am i going to get out of it what what might be this is a stepping stone or something you know i know my son and i talked about that with the job that he took and then we said okay you real this is a great company. It's a great job. It's not paying as well. However, these are the perks. So, what else can you get from that? And he worked a bunch of things. So, remember that when you're out there looking for a job and you just graduated from UCI, you have to think about what else can you get. So, um, what is one thing that hinders people from getting a good deal for themselves?
0: Well, the main thing is not asking for exactly what they want. So many people don't ask, and that's the biggest thing in negotiation. You have to ask for what you want. Oh, I, I this happened to me. Okay, did you ask if they could do this and this? No, I didn't. Why not? I don't know. I was afraid. It's, it's that important thing, the foundational principle for me in negotiation is you have to ask. You're not going to get something that you don't ask for. And if they say no, they say no. Find it a different way. How can we right. get to yes? But you're not going to get there if you don't ask.
1: Exactly, exactly. And there's another thing that, that reminded me of when you ask for something, don't ask for what, don't tell them what you don't want. Tell them what you want. And this is something when I work with couples, they'll say, well, I don't want this. I don't want this. And I go, okay, what do you want? Tell us what you really want. And let's see if we can get that for you. And then they're stumped. They only know what they don't want. So it's, <laughs> it, <laughs> it, you know, it's amazing. I say, okay, I, this is the rule. You ask for what you want, not what you don't want. So could you share a success story with one of your clients? Uh, What does fair and reasonable mean in the reference to negotiation?
0: Well, fair and reasonable is subjective to each individual person. This is a government term. And when I was in the military as a contracting officer, my signature on a contract determined that it was fair and reasonable, that we'd done everything we needed to do to determine the price or the terms and conditions or both were fair and reasonable. Fair means a proper balance of conflicting interests. Reasonable means not extreme or excessive. So a fair and reasonable price or term or condition is one that's balanced and somewhat moderate. But, again, I said that's subjective. So both sides need to reach a fair and reasonable agreement with each other to make sure that they both feel comfortable. And I call it win-win results. And that means you've both decided at the end of the discussion that, okay, I think this is fair and reasonable. You think this is fair and reasonable. Let's shake hands, ink the agreement, and we're good. So, and I've had helped several clients get a lot of money back. I seem to be the landlord-tenant expert. I've helped a <laughs> lot of people get money back from landlords. But I had one client who was a, a consultant, and she had a $35,000 consulting program with a, a client, and it was half up front and then half in six months. About two or three months, about the three-month point into it, after she started working and engaged all the people that were going to do what they needed to do for this client, and he re- received a lot of her intellectual property and a lot of things were going in, in motion, he did a chargeback on his American Express card for $17,500. Oh, oh my God. And Amex God. <laughs> sides with the person doing the chargeback, and they immediately took the money out of the account. So I sat with her, and we constructed a letter, went back to American Express. They put the money back in her account. Well, he decided that that wasn't the right reason, so he did another one under a different reason. And they took the money again. So, again, we had to include the first documentation and include some more documentation. She had a a no-refund policy, and she had a, a lot of different things that showed all the work she had put in progress and all the other people she had hired to get this guy's situation handled and so American Express accepted that put the money back in her account. He did it a third time. Oh no. Yes, and they did not they didn't take the money. They contacted her and said we need additional documentation. Right, right. So we sat and did additional doc- documentation and sent a very large packet, and American Express left it alone, until six months later, he did it again. (laughs) And they basically ignored him and didn't let him do it. But I basically helped her get $17,500 back into her account twice, and then avoided it the third time. And then she simply sent all the documentation the fourth time that we'd sent the third time, and Amex just left it alone. But... It's those kind of things that people really don't know how to stand up and fight. She could have lost a lot of money there.
1: Yeah, and I think what's really important, what you're saying, is there is power in writing, too. It's called the power of legitimacy when something's in writing. You write a letter, you give the documentation, and the fact that you did it and he probably couldn't do anything to counter that – was very powerful, even though it was a pain in the butt for you have to do that three or four times was very frustrating. But I think that's the thing. Some people just go, oh, I can't do it. I can't, you know, or they want to go to an attorney and then the attorney's going to charge them a fortune. So they have to learn how to negotiate in writing. Like you said, they can make a call. I always make a call first and see what I can do. And if that doesn't work, then, of course, memorialize everything with your evidence and all the documentation and look at how powerful that was. You got her all her money, which was great. But we are just about out of time, so I want to just mention again that we have been speaking with this wonderful expert negotiator who happens to live in Irvine and also is a professional speaker. And she is the author of Think Like a Negotiator, 50 Ways to Create Win-Win Results by Understanding the Pitfalls to Avoid And that is one of her books and her other book is Go Pink Rules of Engagement, Five Foundational Principles for Taking Control of the Handlebars of Your Life. So um, just give your website and then it's time to go.
0: All right, you can reach me at eldonalewisfernandez.com for anything negotiation. Check out my blog and learn a lot more tips.
1: And I just want to say Eldona is spelled E-L-D-O-N-N-A, Lewis is spelled L-E-W-I-S, Fernandez, F-E-R-N-A-N-D-E-Z. And you can find her at our website at conflicthealing.com where we have her picture, her bio, and we link to her website too. So Eldana, it was wonderful talking to you and I can't wait to meet you. Okay.
0: All right. Thank you for having me again.
1: All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM Irvine and KUCI.org on the web. Visit us every Monday morning. Listen in at 8.30 a.m. right here on KUCI 88.9 FM Irvine and KUCI.org on the web. And visit conflicthealing.com. Thanks.
0: The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.